Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This is episode 51 and we're going to try something a little bit different. This is going to be an experiment. We're going to kind of mess with this as we kind of go forward. But this is kind of was suggested by uh, someone via, via a message that messaged me and said, why do you do, uh, why don't you do a listen along? And I was like, what, what the fuck is a listen along? And apparently people do it on Twitch and they do it on, on, on kind of YouTube and stuff and all that type of thing where they watch a movie or they play a game or whatever it may be. And they comment as they, as it's kind of, you kind of watch the film together. And so it was put forward to me. Why don't you, why don't you, watch the, 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 the or listen to the album to, to get with, with with collectively like if you will so we take like a, a very classic album and we listen along I listen at the same time you are um I kind of comment on the album what I think maybe some some facts I kind of throw in there as well and we kind of have a, a, a little bit of a listen together and I thought that was an, an interesting prospect and you know what let's 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 take it to throw at it and see what what works out um, it reminds me of when I when I was a kid, I used to have like a Star Wars, uh, like t- game where you put it like a tape in a tape. Fucking hell, that ages me straight away. But you put a tape in, um, it says press play on tape at the same time as the uh, 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 you know, press the play on t- tape, and as it's recording at the same time, you listen and and every so often you would turn the page of the story. The noise was like the sound of a. Um, an X-wing fighter, I think, screaming like, or a Tie fighter, or a pew pew of a laser sound to turn the pages, and um, so yeah, so I thought that that'd be, you know, it's fun. It's like, you know, what the hell? Uh, the album's like nearly like sixty minutes long, so um, let let's do that. And which album was I talking about? So obviously, yesterday was the anniversary of uh, Metallica's Black album. Um, it came out on August the twelfth, nineteen ninety one. Obviously, and. This sounds like it's like one of my favorite albums. A lot of people out there's favorite albums, and it seemed like it made good sense to kind of go, okay, well, if we're gonna do an album, we're gonna do uh, a, a bit of a listen through. Let's listen through with that. And um, so you know, the Black Album, Metallica's Black Album, is the fifth album they released on, as I say, August twelfth in the, in the nineties, nineteen ninety one, and it was huge about that time. There was. Uh, Use Your Illusion 1 or 2 as well and they, they both went on tour off the back of that um, you know, it's Rolling Stones reckon to, to, it's in the 500 greatest albums of all time it's widely to believed to be Metallica's best best album not by musical standards but certainly by commercial standards it was a massively breakthrough album for them um, some people obviously think it's the, the best Metallica album I would disagree I would put forward the puppets or, or Lightning for me is probably right up there but certainly you cannot you kind of hide the fact that you know this is sixteen time platinum album, so sixteen million copies. Think about that, sixteen million copies. Um, and and famously, they brought Bob Rock in. You know, Bob Rock, previously working with all kinds of people, Bon Jovi and 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 the Motley Crue on Doctor Feelgood, and apparently that was where. Talica or I imagine Lars heard that and was like, this guy's brought something new to those bands. He can do that for us, you know. And I think that that was the whole play. That the you you they wanted to kind of open up the sound even more, experiment a little bit more, simplify where needed, and kind of really kind of move to the next level, which is an often kind of bullshit thing to say. Oh, we move to the next level, we're going to the next level. But in it in this case, Metallica really wanted to evolve from their thrash metal roots into something a bit more, a bit more interesting, a bigger bigger to them. Um, simplifying the music, simplifying the riffs, simplifying everything. The previous album was Justice for All. It was incredibly complicated, long songs. So I can understand why they wanted to maybe do that. Uh, recorded at one-on-one studios. 
as well to and uh, you know they were filming a year and a half in the life of Metallica at the time and uh, there was all there's all kinds of great insights into that which we'll kind of talk about as well and then a little bit in Vancouver as well uh, recorded there and one of the things that's interesting about the Black Album is that they recorded, it wasn't always the case of how you would do things, they recorded demos first, now you do that all the time, people band share demos and then they form them, they bring them to the studio and get those ideas fully formed into full songs and albums, but they recorded demos, like a couple of songs on there to kind of make sure that they, you know, they were going in, in the right direction, a lot of stuff was written over uh, uh, the Justice Tour and that type of thing. And they recorded demos to kind of get a, a good idea. Lars Ulrich talks about having the foundation there. If we've got a strong foundation, we can build something upon that. But, you know, still the the, the recordings were were incredibly problematic because Bob Rock um, and, and Metallica didn't get on. You know, Metallica had with this very tight, close-knit unit. The Bob Rock comes along and you know, he's got all these new ideas and they were all very perfectionist and he was saying, well, you know, let's not play to a click anymore, let's play live as a band and stuff and he kind of all this whole sort of pushing and pulling that eventually worked out to be an interesting relationship with them, you know, um, they went on to do like St. Anger and stuff and Bob Rock probably did a lot for them. Eventually, you know, the, the, the fans kind of turned, turned, turned on them and, you know, there was like a, <laughs> a petition, like a thousand five hundred people signed a petition or something to make sure that Bob Rock never worked with Metallica, and subsequently now they've worked with Ruben and stuff, and they've moved on. But at the time, very problematic. They tested Bob Rock a lot, you know, and and constantly being questioned, constantly under fire, and you know the album and the quality of it only shows to go how you know, endorse how much that that was worth doing. You know, that it was worth being... I, I don't I don't necessarily like like it when an album is completely... Oh, this was this album was the easiest album we've ever recorded. Well, it, it shouldn't fucking be. It should be a difficult time where you kind of really focus on what you're doing. You fall out with people as you kind of make sure the ideas that you fundamentally believe in are pushed forward. It should be the case of that. Um, yeah, interestingly, it was remixed three times. You know, getting the mix of it absolutely right. That cost a million dollars, but even in the 90s, he said it was a fucking lot of money because a million dollars to remix this album that's how much of a perfectionist they were you know this is kind of how how they wanted to be this album to be the real kind of zenith of what they were doing a million dollars some bands don't spend a quarter of that just recording the fucking album they spent a million dollars doing that and um, and it's 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 an interesting sort of time capsule as well. The slower tempos, the the more one or two riffs, and that's it. Um, and they tried to create a rhythm section. You know, uh, Jason used to talk about how trying to create a rhythm section, a whole sort of melodic sort of form to it. You know, and really kind of get into a, into a groove and stuff that that maybe you know other bands had discovered and they and they hadn't. You know, so. And you think about the personal side of it as well, like, you know, uh, Lars Ulrich, Kirk Hammond, and Jason News, they're all going through, or being, go, gone through divorces at this time, and it flows into the writing as well, which we'll go into as we go through the songs as well. And then, you know, think about the iconic cover. What, you know, um, you, you get Spinal Tap doing an album as a joke, which is completely black, where you can see your reflection in it type of thing, and it's what's the answer to who's, who's the blackest, non more black? The Black Album, or Metallica Metallica, sometimes this is referred to as. And it's so spot on, um, self-parried in it. It's perfect. It's got Metallica in the corner and the um, the the kind of the, the snake, um, the uh, Garston, uh, Gadsden uh, 
flag, the timber rattlesnake in the corner that you can barely see. And it was so iconic. It's so iconic. It's actually followed on from like the White Album, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. And then inside's very sort of clean uh, lyric sheets and stuff. And that image of the four faces of them, which went on a billion T-shirts. I certainly had one of the T-shirts, one of the long sleeve shirts with the, with the, with the, the snake logo on was just kind of everywhere when it was released, you know. And, and think about it when it was released. It was, you know, six singles they got from that. That's fucking ridiculous that like you know and here's the thing for you so there's never sold less than a thousand copies since its release each week and you think that's just fucking crazy and obviously they went on to you know load and reload and and since anger and the kind of things that he did there but for many this represents the, the the best metallica you know even though some of the songs on here they don't always play live a lot you know they don't really you do some of them are absolute standards but some of them older than now i don't think they played live an awful lot so what we're going to do is we're going to sit and we're going to listen to the album now i was a bit trepidatious uh, trepidatious trepid or whatever you want to say a bit kind of worried about how um if this would work so it just there'll be you'll obviously he beats in metallic and stuff like that and i was worried about all how it would how it would work i was worried about so we're going to try it and we're going to see what happens. And in the same way I did with that Star Wars uh, magazine, where I read through and kind of did everything, I'm going to press play in a second. We're going to do it at the same time, and we're going to start listening to the album. The album's, as I'm listening to it, there's going to be a lot of me making guitar noises, going to be a lot of little space when I'm not talking about anything, because sometimes the riffs are that fucking good, and sometimes I'll be talking about kind of what I thought about particular songs. So, when you're ready, sit yourself down, avail yourself of a beer, um, get yourself comfortable. We're going to sit and listen to the entire album front to back, and um, we're going to listen. Now, I was worried and trepidatious because I didn't know if it had still held up. I've heard a lot of these songs individually, and I really, you know, these are some metal classics. But and I had the chance to see this side of stage as well when they played the Black Album full at Donington, a download, and it was. I just forgot how strong the whole album is front to back. There's there's no filler at all, and so. There's going to be, you know, going through each song, and I'm going to try and kind of pepper them with some bits and pieces about kind of my experiences. Certainly, you'll have your own. Very much a time capsule, this this album for me. Very much is going to bring back some memories of trying to play these songs and trying to learn these songs, as well as going to see them multiple times on, on the tours, multiple, multiple times, because they were just doing a whole snake pit thing, and it was, I think they were going out without support, if I remember rightly. Just incredible time. So, when I say... Um, what would be the what would be the best way to start this? Yeah, let's do it. When I say yeah, um, <laughs> no, maybe not. When I say 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 let's go, let's whatever. We're gonna press play. And we're gonna listen to the album in full. So get ready, get yourself comfortable, and uh, yeah, let's go. Press play. So there's the that iconic sort of clean. And the first sort of smatterings of the war as well, you know, the kick on it's often kind of put to 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 bed about the war that it'll be buried in a in a war coffin. But there it is, and it's kind of you know, it's kind of all all encompassing part of the sound. His kind of Euro side kind of really bled into this and give this that universal appeal. And there's that fucking riff. The first time you hear like Heffield's heavy guitar. And he's just got one of the best fucking right hands in the business, hasn't he? He just fucking goes. And this riff, created by uh, by Kirk, but, but edited by Lars, where he has the kind of the little tail at the end. 
This is a build-up, just strong, really easy dynamics into that big swing. Nice and simple swing. See? So, and it's just swinging now. It's not uncomplicated, really straightforward. Listen to the bass and what's going on there as well. Yeah. So there's the familiar Heffield that we know. And this song was was originally about fucking crib death, cot death. And obviously that's way too dark for a lead single or, or the opening of an album. Because, you know, so, so obviously that's where Bob Rock's kind of come out, come in and gone, you can't do that. Like, you got let's lighten it up a little bit. Huge. Absolutely huge. And that riff, uh, apparently Kirk Hammett was inspired by Magic Man by Hearts. Not the, the song, but the sample of Ice-T used uh, on his Power album, I believe it was. And there you go. So the simple riff, really building, with some nice fills as well. Like this one. And just really kind of, you know, considering like what they were doing in Justice and Puppets, this is just fucking really, really straightforward. Like, and then all I ever think about when I hear this is the video. Uh, where they kind of like the snakes under the bed and shit. Gripping your pillow. And that boom. Always pyro whenever you see them live. Like. I couldn't tell you how many different versions I had of this song. The, the riff that I played in all different positions on the neck. Because I was just like... I just couldn't un understand it until I had to actually probably sit down and proper look at it. And there's your, if, if anything, there's your classic Kirk Hammett solo, like. There he is, just wrecking the fucking war. Just, you know, that's that was his sound. You can hear, like, the, the kind of Schenker playing and stuff in there. Even a little bit of Satriani, that, you know, because he was taught a little bit by Sach. And that's when the... Uh, is, I know this when he's falling in the bed spinning in the video, and it like I had a dream where this happened. I had a dream where that happened. Really, just lovely into this build with these thick drums, and the bass going along with the drums as well. And they had that lad, didn't he? And did like they brought the kid in to kind of do that voice. Nice old, and he kept getting it fucking wrong, like. Wonder what's happened to that lad now. Wonder if his claims are famous. He does the, the the kids part in this song. They, I mean, it's just. Great stuff. That drum sound was emanated all the way through after people heard that. They just wanted that. They wanted that scooped guitar sound as well. Like, you know, every band wanted that. And it just, it, it, it almost became overused. It is overused. And this whole lead back in, and the, if you imagine the, the big fucking uh, wagon coming and smashing the bed to bits on the video, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Het. Really simple, just just songwriting 101, you know? 
On King Nothing on uh, Load, there's a bit at the end of that song uh, where he kind of whispers uh, off to Never Neverland. It's the first time I think they reference previous work. That bit as well. That's it's a lovely little film. There it is. That's that's how you fucking open an album. That's that's just perfect. You used to open the gigs with that as well. Can you believe that? You used to fucking open with with these kind of massive sorts of big singles, which no spans would leave leave to the end. So we're coming up to. Uh, at the time, was fucking crazy heavy. The only de- down tunes a day. It wasn't like they added a, a seven strings and stuff. But you could sad but true, you know. And this was like. She still says it now. Metallica gives you heavy, baby. Now we're way past this, but it was like it was just the swing and the groove that was just fucking, and the pause just made it heavier because pauses make things heavy. And then that fucking guy Kid Rock comes along and tries to mix it. Oh my god! And he fucking ruined it. You just leave it the fuck alone, like. But that's a that's a swing. That listen. Lots of slow, no, not speeds, not thrash metal anymore. And and the, a year and a half in life, of he's hitting the cowbell stuff like, and it, they obviously took that out. So I'd be interested to see kind of what they took out and what they kept in. And this is this verse part, what Hellfield's doing with the guitar and with his voice. It's not a traditional sort of riff it's totally going with the voice and he talks about how they record and he's like couldn't singing it and playing at the same time was yeah when he had a sore, sore voice and how much it fucking annoyed the shit of him lovely sort of overdubs there by kirk as well like on the just those singly unison notes things going on hard not to headbang to that in it I'm your pain while you repay. Just fucking in the fucking pocket groove, like, you know. Probably one of my more, one of my favourite songs off the album, hence the silence as I just listened to. Fucking, what's a great song? Yo! I only ever remember this was, this has strong connections with me with the Gulf war and the war in Iraq when then um, they were trying to taking off down statues and stuff and it was going up going on why they were um why they were recording it weren't they and all that kind of footage of the the rockets going through the vents and shit and and all that kind of modern warfare thing going on and it reminds me of that like i think that's what that song's about right Wow, long periods of no sound. You guys must be fucking loving this with no voice for long periods. Just fucking brilliant. You know, brilliant sort of diluting of their whole thing to the key elements. And like I think in the uh, they double and treble probably the tracks this you chose have you playing the guitar when they're trying to get that disgustingly heavy sound, and I love the pause and 
obviously they do that live and he spits sometimes and here we go with Hammett again but it's a really good solo from, from Hammett really to the point And yeah, it maybe does do some of these songs follow the, the verse, chorus, verse, chorus type of thing that you get going on. But these are just, you know, this is kind of like very modern at the time, very modern metal-like, you know. Great sort of intro. He's like off the live, he's like, hey, fuck. All the hanging back before the riff comes in. Great stuff, like. And she goes back in. It's like fucking heavier shit. And there was a lot of fucking... Now, this probably gets laughed at by some of the... Other sort of newer people listening to metal. Where like, this was fucking really heavy at the time. That's fucking not the case anymore. But it, it really is a proper headbanger. Care. And that's another thing. Heffield gets a ton of stuff for his voice, but that's his. That's what he does. That's his vocals. I'm your reason, alibis. I'm inside. Hoping, hoping your eyes. I'm back to the riff. You know, similar structure to Sandman. And then to hang on the last note before you do that. Boom. So, the next song was originally was meant to be going to be the lead-off single. I don't know if it was going to start the album as well. And it is like, you know, Bob Rock put it forward that he was kind of really, you know, that was the thing he wanted to do. Because it's got really strong dynamics, this song. You know, producers always talk about dynamics. And this just kind of builds and builds and builds. And it's got that war and the drums going off and the, everything's moving. It's like really kind of twisting, <laughs> turning through the never. Um, and this is holier than now. That like sort of making the guitar sound almost vocal. That's just a great riff. It's a great riff. There's no getting around it. And it's like there's a lot of stuff that goes, you know, what but previously gone. Certainly like Heffield's vocals definitely and very much kind of what's gone beyond, gone before they're not going so people often talk about oh it was a complete departure but the first sort of three songs as I think we're seeing weren't too much of a million miles away from where they'd come from smart move you believe yourself Just lovely playing there. Just a lovely kind of like 
uncomplicated and it, what we were talking about the rhythm section before kind of really just pounding drums it's a cl- you know, cliche to say but it's pounding drums who's that you are it's who you know really good lyrics like lyrics to where he's talking about more world situate rather than specific things building uh, kind of bridges and, and burning, burning bridges and building backward wealth you build bringing kind of whole world view of stuff that could be comparable to anybody's life and anybody's situation real open up the sound the sound and open up the lyrics as well real kind of moving with the the, the rhythm there with what Hammett's doing as all good solos should be should be a, a, a song within a song Hear the unison, the, the harmony parts as well. Just really thicken it. And then let's get that one out. And I don't want to diss it because that's a sound, but a lot of people do. But it works. It just totally works. That Euro metal sound works for completely. Building, building, building. Amazing. Wow. And then to do that, like, kind of mid-late, if you will. And then if you hear Jason fucking hell, there's a bassist on this album. Yeah, there is. Like, we, we were missing him on Justice, but we've got him now. And he's been all through the last couple of songs. But giving him a moment there where he's just kind of driving it. Real kind of, you know, obviously Jason got a lot of shit off the band. Kind of like he got a lot of hazing. But there it is. Proof positive. He, third song in, he gets a whole section for himself, like. So, this is where things sort of start turning. That kind of sample. Is it a sample? Is it not from Showdown? Um, a few dollars more. But then you get this kind of acoustic and Spanish guitar type of thing, which is not unheard of. You know, we've heard it before in battery and stuff. We've heard, heard that. So, it's not unusual. But very spaghetti western and kind of very Ennio Morricone. But then it comes in with the drums and it's kind of, what's this? This is almost a ballad. And this is probably where a lot of people are like, what's, what's this? <laughs> you know, what, what's kind of... And then you get the biggest thing that people, will, certainly the band, certainly Heffield as well. And then you kind of come with the guitar. The whole point was bringing the... But it's still slow. You can almost hear them holding everything back just to let it kind of breathe. But it's a slow, way slower tempo than we've heard from Metallica before this album. So the switches. The, like the the nice part is the chorus whereas the verse is the heavy part but this whole singing by Heffield you know when he when they 
they did a listening party at Madison Square Garden for this, and this, and I imagine nothing else matters that comes up later. These were these parts where the Hef, Papa Het was pretty pretty much naked, you know, out putting it out there, kind of like this is me trying to sing. But real dynamics. So verse part being the heavy part as opposed to being the chorus being real simple. A tired man Maybe Maybe They were prepping you For later on With nothing else matters Maybe they were prepping you For that They were kind of going We can't go put Nothing else matters On front street Front street and he's singing like, what I've felt, what I've known. There's a lot of metalheads out there that must have fucking wanted to lynch him. There probably was. When they first did one, I've told the story plenty of times, when he first did a video for one, Kirk Hammett said he was, people would spit at him in the street for doing a video for MTV. Those people must have fucking hated The Unforgiven. I get it, you had The Unforgiven 2 and then The Unforgiven 3 and so forth. And so they repeated it, they enjoyed this. They thought this was a very much a defining thing. And you get that moment where now, so now Hammer plays that solo, the guitarist of the year solo, where he kind of, this is him genuinely trying to put everything he could into this guitar solo, where Bob Rock's going, okay, let me see it, let me fucking see it. You know, if you want to be, you know, you want to create that classic solo for that classic song, let's hear it. And he did this. And I hope it happened like it did on a year and a half on the, the the filming of it where he had to hold the bar and he was playing the notes so Bob Rock had to kind of turn the volume down. I'm hoping that that's what will happen. But underpinning the whole solo is in a fantastic rhythm part by Hetfield. Like, very, very simple. But when you see him playing, it's quite a thing of beauty. Like, And that was, you know, that's him, you know, Hannah expressing. I wonder if that's still his favourite thing he's ever played. Certainly you can feel him. I mean, you hear that outtakes of that when he gets it wrong and... You know, this is that acoustic guitar being strummed as well. It's like, wow. This was one of the videos as well, wasn't it? Sandman, Sad But True, Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, Nothing Else Matters. Were they all the videos? So how's this working out for you so far? Is it fun? It's quite fun, isn't it? It's something to do, yeah. If it works, we'll kind of maybe go with more albums and see what people think of. It's quite nice to listen back to an album in full, as they intended it. As that, that's what they intended.
I label you. And I think that the next song, they kind of, as Lars called it, the cashmere of the 90s. <laughs> Not pretentious at all. But I think he wants to kind of get back to, let's just make sure we do some, get back to metal a little bit before we kind of unload nothing else matters on him. Um, Unforgiven. Incredible, incredible stuff. Like, you really... It sounds like fucking Alan Partridge. Incredible stuff there from Metallica. The Unforgiven. But that whole gong and the kind of... The sitar effect. A world traveller, if you would, motherfucker. Um, but these, like, drum cracks are, are almost, you know, historic now, aren't they? I remember hearing this and thinking, what the fuck is this? In a good way, because the, there they are. Once again, slower tempos, get the riff. I mean, they move quicker, but get the riff kind of in there. Get that groove settled. Whenever I'm in Rome, obviously about touring, you know, of which they fucking did a lot. Oh, the lovely little... Uh, uh, truly does. Just great rhythm playing by hat. So once again, keeping the tempos, keeping the tempos to date. And the roll becomes my brain. I remember this song being way faster than it was. It's really slow and... It really is about song about being on the road, isn't it? To the game you stay a slave? Wow. Nomad, vagabond, call me what you will. And I'll take my time anywhere. So I'm amazed how much of it I remember lyrically-wise, apart from getting some of that wrong. Huge, anywhere I roam. And what a song to kind of have of a band that takes like, you know, a year and a half out and tours for fucking... You know, 300 plus days of the, of the year and fucking everywhere. So it's like the perfect song about road burn, isn't it? And like I say, keep going back. Just a huge kind of songs, but simplified and slowed down. Under wandering stars I roam. Self, but not alone. You know, you no wonder, like, you know, this must be tough, must have been really tough on the relationships of all of those uh, other halves, like, you know. The less I have, the more I gain. Jesus. I mean, during recording of this and, and, and a little bit after, Lars Ulrich, Hammett and Jason all going through divorces, like, you know, life on the road was fucking hard, I imagine, for those people.
Anywhere I roam. They look gang vocals there a little bit like, yeah. And like, uh, Hammer does that great thing in the solo now coming up. It's like, uh, it reminds me of uh, Joe Perry trying like that pull-off thing. Uh, he kind of does. Well, no, not quite yet. I forgot this is harmonised. Yeah, which is like, harking back to the old Metallica in any, many ways. They were kind of sick of that sound, weren't they? After a while, it's a guitar sound. They moved, they tried to move away from it, didn't they? With load and reload, kind of that scooped mid sound. Oh no, it's not this song. I thought the song to pull us off, but this is more wah. That's lovely. That lovely bit of kind of you know. Taking different note choices to make it sound more exotic, more Eastern flavoured. And it just makes sense. But then the build up back into it. Lovely. Just. But I'll take my time anywhere. I should be saying at this point, shouldn't I? I should be saying really insightful things. But sometimes it's good to just listen. You know, I, I forgot how well-crafted this song is. It's absolutely insanely well-crafted. And, and I'm sure Bob Rocky, well, on uh, a year and a half, they kind of show him kind of hitting skulls and everything to kind of get different sorts of beats and sounds to it. And this is probably one of the cumulative parts of that like a lot of people talk about nothing else matters but i think this is probably kind of them really kind of stepping outside of the of the, the shell a little bit a nice outro again by ham it's not maybe getting enough credit for the outro so he plays some lovely stuff there you go Yeah, he gets a few of them in Destiny. Wonder. That's a great song. That really is that. And how'd you end it? Like <laughs> nice drum fills. And and I think they kind of once again every time they dip slightly away from where they're going to they kind of bring it back. And so the next song's very much fucking, you know, another heavy sort of get. Let's get back to it to prove that what we can do and kind of prove what uh, what we're about and stuff. Uh, the next song, "Don't Tread on Me," probably one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, huge beginning with this kind of bum bum, da da da, and then the. Uh, the West Side Story. Just fucking Heffield, just like E chord madness. And obviously, he wants, Bob Rock wants to get away from E chords. He wants, not E chords, but the E kind of sound. That's why he brought in the D stuff, um, you know. That's a fucking riff, that is, isn't it? And then the swing that, that Lars puts with it now. Just come on. And this is associated. They still have this flag in the in the, uh, the 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 compound where they where they practice with the uh, Gaston, is it flag uh, with the timber rattlesnake on, which has been appropriated by you know by some interesting people like 
because it stands exactly like you said there, liberty or death. You know, um, that's a pretty difficult stance. Hetfield got into a ton of, and still does because he's a hunter, isn't he? Uh, he goes out and hunts, and that gets a, a lot of fire from people about going out and kind of doing that type of thing, you know. I believe he looks after bees as well. He was on the Rogan show talking about bees. He's a beekeeper as well, I believe. Once again, not as fast. You remember it being quicker? You just remember the whole thing being quick. So be it. Don't remember hearing this recently as well, some of the sets, but yeah. I don't stop the deep love this one. Fuck does a lightning strike. But it holds up, you know, even from a sounds point of view, it, it holds up, still heavy. Even in light of kind of, you know, the seven strings and down tunes and stuff, it still holds up, like. Because it's still with a ton of attitude, like I always say, like 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 Slayer. Bass as well, just really moving with this one. So be it. And you get that the horrible war sound now. That sounds like war, war doesn't it? Like that kind of whole crying thing, but it works for this, you know. Breaking off the rhythm, totally. And then it's like, rough by Heffield now. <laughs> God bless you. That's just solid. Solid riff making right there. I love that part of the record. That's one of my favourite parts of the record, that. I know, man. I can understand why people don't like this album. I can understand that, because it is very produced. It's, uh, it is a mark to departure. But it's a good fucking songs. The, the good songs. I think they're maybe doubling down, putting the next song here, because just before we get to Nothing Else Matters, through the never, now we're moving, quick tempos, let's go, this is almost thrash, almost not, but it's almost kind of thrash, isn't it? Tricky riff to play as well, get it right on the money. Pauses, pauses are heavy. And this is kind of keep make sure the tempo stay up, make sure people go. Are you still with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straightforward riff. 
And that's that open world view singing about again, not just not talking about specifics. Too quick to criticize. It's almost mystical, this, isn't it? Like, kind of talking about the riff. Get the feeling this one came together pretty quickly. It's in the dark, see past our eyes. Pursue the truth, no matter where it lies. Really clear dictation, though, by by Hatfield, isn't it? They spent a lot of time with the vocals on this album. Like, I wonder if Hammett wrote this line. Our home, Third Stone from the Sun, Plant Earth, obviously, and same as Hendrix singing Third Stone from the Sun, obviously Hammer being a huge Hendrix plan. Probably did write that. Like, I wonder how much was written by all of them. That's the real secret to heavy music, isn't it? Just having those pauses. Just a great, that's just great interplay, isn't it? Bam, bam, bam. And then a lovely dive. And then you bring back the, the you know, just this great riff in this. And this was made for fucking arenas, this was. For people to chant. Like, die, die, die. But, oh, yeah. Creeping death type of fucking thing. On through the never. This, from the ground up, this album was made to be listened to, sung along to, sung along to live. It was completely made for that there. You know, Bob Rock did, did a really good job of bringing them up to that next level that we talked about. Back to the main riff, simple, maybe two, three riffs a song now, where there would have been crazy amounts and stuff like Eye of the Beholder. Who We Are, Ask Forever. Interesting. And then, now we get to the most contentious part of the record, possibly, you know. Can you imagine when these first notes rang out? And people are like, okay, well, we heard the Unforgiven. And it's it's obviously it's simplest, it's open notes, so the beginning part is open notes. And played by Heffield. Beautiful stuff, you know, real arena rock, like, in the best way. But the metalheads must have shit themselves when they heard this. But listen to that. 
you know, Michael Kamen's orchestration of flowing lines. Just beautiful stuff. There was an elevator mix of this where it's heavily heavy on the orchestration. If you ever heard, it's quite funny. But they were going, they were going for it, weren't they, with this? Lesser drums. And Heffield singing like this, apparently trying to uh, emulate Chris Isaac, if you if you want to believe that or not. And people expect it to go heavy. Like, okay, where's that? No, 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 it doesn't come in. And Heffield says that, you know, when he was listening back at the, you know, the, the listening party in Madison Square Garden, like I say, he was shit, genuinely shitting himself. He was a guy that is used to shout and has to look after his voice now because probably the biggest song, and this might have been one of the biggest songs of their entire career, he has to play virtually every night and sing beautifully. Listen to the orchestration, uh, underpinning that. Just a seeking a fan in you. Michael came in really kind of, really great choice to bring in here. And, and it was paid off because then he ended up doing S&M, didn't he? Where he kind of did the Metallica with an orchestra. You know, this was this was the birthplace of that. And they, once again, you expect this huge riff, but it's not. Even when the guitars come in, it's still not heavy. It's it's orchestration. That big chord there. Doesn't come in. No matter how far. And this is about, you know, definitely about loneliness on the road. And I think it was his girlfriend then, Hatfield's girlfriend, probably his wife now. Um, you know, just he must have started with those open strings and then the whole thing just fell out the guitar. Halfway through the album, this drops. You know, this is what the some like the the, the rocker guys will play to people that weren't into metal, and it's a great song because it's easy to learn because it's simple notes at the beginning. Lovely. This is a very good example of Heffield's kind of knowledge of kind of harmony and stuff, of Spanish guitar playing and stuff. You're really good at understanding that. But listen to the lines underneath. And Heffield Solo, rare Heffield Solo. This, when it's done well in the arena, is just a sight to behold. Lovely little fill now. You're not wrong there, Heffield. Life is as we live it, are we? And this must have been... This exploded on the radio, didn't it? And it probably gained them more fans, but it certainly lost them some fans. Michael Kamen's orchestration coming through there. And it really helps when it builds to the solo as well. Open man for a different... Or open legs for a different view as he sings on the... Year and a half in a life of. And this is the first kind of real heavy guitar comes in now, like... In a minute. This. Just still orchestra. 
building and building. Bum, bum, I think that was on a Gretsch that chord. Hatfield solo. This was really was his. He made this for him, didn't he? And then he obviously shown it to the other guys, and they're going, "What the fuck is this?" But then Bob Rock, maybe Lars has gone. You know what? This is this is big. And that's just like heavy and as loud as it gets. Rare song where Hammett doesn't play on it. That's crazy, isn't it? No going back after that, I don't think, for them. No going back from that. Only went to the Grammys. Um, and and the rest is history, you know. They just allowed them to do whatever the fuck they wanted, didn't they? No step was seen to, was deemed too extreme. No step was seen too much out of... Like I say, you won more, probably more fans than you did, than you're alienated. A lot of the times people said they sold out, sold out. Lars said, yeah, we did every fucking arena and every fucking night. So talk about a palate cleanser. Bam, 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 bam. Of wolf and man, shit. They, they, they just wanted to... This is them going, okay, 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 but we can still fucking do that. But what a riff this is like. Nice and straightforward. Lots of runes and manoeuvre. Let's go. Song about kind of being being a wolf, basically. Used to, I feel used to, does he still have that on him where he has that like that silver wolf's head? I remember seeing that on so many fucking posters, and he had live like tied around that. I wonder if he still has that. Like, it's probably a song more or less about hunting in it. Like, let's be honest, maybe, maybe. Straight up, and I, I they, they most certainly when they were tracking this and deciding it, they put this after nothing else matters because. It's so much like you know, it's so aggressive. Um, and he had the the guitar with the um, the wolves kind of growing into the man, didn't he? I thought that was pretty cool. Like all the guitars around that area were very cool. All those ESPs they used, they're so fucking what one and stuff. Simple riffs, man. If you're taking anything away from this whole album, it's like simple riffs and space and stuff. Really kind of, really nail the point home, don't they? Steel tonight. We have. And everybody, like when you see this live, it's everybody howling like wolves, quite a thing. It's pretty cool. I wonder what the other mixes of this album sounded like. Did they dial some of the stuff back, like, you know, three times, three times it's remixed. 
That's how you nail a riff, eh, man? That was the kind of things that remind for some reason reminded me of dude looks like a lady, that part that Joe Perry plays. It reminded me of that, that pull-off thing, like. Always, I'd, I'd love that about Hetfield's playing about the like the muted note stuff that he does is just fucking brilliant. Just sense of rhythm and time is just fucking amazing. Just reminds me of the American world for London. <laughs> Yeah, one of definitely one of my favorite songs off the album. But that swing is always there. That sense of time, that sense of rhythm is always there, always prevalent. I'm doing that face now where you do it. Because it's such a good feeling. He is like, look at this bass right in the front and centre. So Jason's getting a lot of movement for it. Um, you know, and just... What a, what a fuck... And then to use that kind of octaves. And it, if you can hear it, it's still in the mix when he's got that noise of him gun, um, cocking the gun. This is an interesting song, this. This is the God That Failed. Now, uh, you know, Heffield's mum died of, died of cancer and she was very, um, because of her, her beliefs, she didn't get medical treatment, apparently. This song is about him, uh, his kind of view on his mum dying, you know. Yeah, that's... When you, when you listen to it now after knowing that, which I didn't know at the time because the, the internet didn't exist to tell me these things, but when I first heard, heard this song, I loved this song, but now hearing it, it's fucking tragic, like. Slower song again. Much slower than I remember it. A healing hand held back by the deeper nail. That's a great fucking line. That is like to describe the whole sort of situation. Uh, 
He's played this recently. I think they played it in Manchester recently, and it went. I, almost some people were quite surprised when he pulled this song out. Like, I don't know if they play it that often. Great stuff with the. If you're listening to this with headphones on, which would be weird, I don't need to hear what I'm doing. But if you listen to it, it's, it's a good, beautiful balance of where the vocals are. Sounds like one of the songs that could have been from an earlier age, if you know what I mean. They have to talk about what would you know what would Burton what would Cliff Burton have done with this album and, and Hetfield says that he Cliff would have pushed them further. You know, Cliff's love of the Beatles and that type of thing is 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 obviously well documented. So you wonder how far maybe sometimes when they were going to pull it back, you know, Cliff may have pushed them further. Slightly different, so nice change. This change of pace, even though it's similar, sort of pound and swinging. Still, it's a nice little sort of change of pace. Got the failed. Can you always hear the pick attacking the strings, can you? Lovely change up now. Listen to what Heffield's doing, the rhythm. And the fading of his voice and stuff. They really kind of... Rock must have uh, had to really sit down with, with Heffield and go, this is how you sit. Maybe to almost, almost teach him to sing it, almost kind of show, show him the other side of his voice. And that's why now, you know, Heffield has this intense vocal regime before he goes on stage yeah you can hear that gun clicking can't you it's in the background Betrayed all the healing hand held back by the deeper nail. Wow. Yeah, it takes on a whole life, that song, now knowing that about his mum. Broken is the promise. Betrayal. <laughs> we did a similar thing when I was recording Brassneck. Uh, we did a similar thing where at the end we played like just the chords echoed out. It's a great song, man. There's another Jason's all over this record, rightly so. Like they completely dismissed everything that happened with Justice, didn't they? My friend of misery. It's probably one of my favourite songs on the album. Definitely right up there. And originally it was meant to be an instrumental, like Orion and that type of thing. It was, you know, um, but obviously they decided to, to lyric it up a bit because it might not work. Like, just great playing. And then the shift and the, the meter change.
they're in, taking taking the time to create an ambience and taking the time to create a rhythm. I remember this being on the introduction to a year and a half in the life of and pouring all that molten metal. Lovely sort of there we go, double times or not double times, but you know. Listening to you. They say the empty can rattles the most. It's probably some of the better stuff that the Hatfield's done lyrically. Only what you wanna hear. You You're off to save the world. That's a great riff in Misery. So there's always that, like, yeah, there's a dark, obviously it's called the fucking Black Album, but there's that dark, actually, there's a lot of hope and a lot of stuff going on in, in, in this record. It's so got that amazing sort of interlude, which harks back to the older times, like, you know, on, on puppets and stuff where they, they kind of do these wonderful moves away from what's going on and come back to it again. Sit there screaming. Where we turning about these words you sell? Are your voices gone? One man tells there's another side. It's surprising how much I remember lyrically. Wow. I reckon I could have a decent pass of playing mostly songs of guitar. I absolutely leathered them for, for play, trying to learn this stuff. Remember. Yeah. It's a really interesting song, isn't it? Kind of goes up and down. It's a real dynamics player. My friend of misery. Or omnipresent bass there through the whole thing. Do you think it was a dis dis discerning effort to kind of make sure that that was in place? And this is a lovely interlude that makes people forget about, I think. With those volume smells. Out in the background, very quietly in the background, almost underwater thing. This was like the bits they showed when Lars was diving. So, a side of Metallica that people don't talk about too much, but I love that side of it, like where they do this type of thing. And then bring it back in with the harmonised sort of guitar, if you will. Dynamics, dynamics, dynamics. Constantly kind of giving ebbs and flows and makes it real rich sounding album. I wonder how many people got to this side if you were listening to it on a record. Or even got this far, you know? Because I don't think these songs were on, the, on too many radio stations, the 
these type of songs. The aggressive war coming back in there. Yeah, I wonder how many people went back and listened to and listened to the whole album and listened to the, the back end of the album, if you will. Like where these songs are on, like, you know, The God That Failed and My Friend of Misery. I went back and, and, and listened to them because some of these songs are good. They're really strong. I mean, the whole album's good, obviously, but I wonder what, what happened or people just kept that first side. Like. My Friend of Misery. I can see why it's not the not his most loved song on, on the album. I like when it kicks up again. Back to that swing. Remember that swing we talked about? He's almost like like he was drumming for the fucking Rolling Stones or something. You know, like Charlie Watts. Just all about swinging and feel and vibe, you know? And he's, he's very... He's, I mean, he, he made a massive misstep during since anger. But yeah, they're always kind of trying to give a different vibe, any man. There's lots going on in this song. There's an awful lot going on. Maybe more than Tal could give him credit for. Right back into the main beats. It's an interesting song, that isn't it? Only listening back there now, I realise how kind of kind of all points it goes to, you know. Um, and then the last song to close the album, um, "The Struggle Within," and there's that kind of whole, you know, the marching of metal, if you will. But it's a fucking riff, this is like, there's no fucking round here now. I think they wanted to end it with a, a very metal and a very kind of alluding back to their own previous work. I have that no hang. Riff. Rock. Just doesn't seem, seem to come together, does it? Until they go so. And that's classic Metallica. You know, if, if anything, I'd argue that the struggle within is probably the most closest link. Interesting that you end the album with it, but the closest link to the previous work. So, listening back now, it's it's quite surprising that there's no bad songs on that album. There's just some songs that are greater than others because what your memory puts them forward. And it's the same like when you watch a film and it's kind of, you remember certain parts meaning more than others. It's the same as this. These are all great songs. The Struggle Within is a fucking great song. But it was the moments, I think, through this, this album where they came to grips with what you could do in the studio with dynamics with musicality what they could do and kind of employ and in some ways did they go did, they didn't stretch as far with load and reload maybe they did that visually with all the makeup and shit that they did but in terms of musically this was their biggest leap i don't think they've ever leapt further some would argue they've stepped back on a couple of things as well and i think that's valid too um but yeah listening back there's some songs i didn't realize they were as good as they were 
Do you know what's like? It's a ton of hate for being a sellout album or the arena rock album, but there's a lot of metal on there. I think it's like three or three songs are the things that people latch onto, don't they? When ultimately, this fucking this whole back end of the album is very heavy. Yeah, it's classic metal. Lovely again, Heffield's rhythm playing, listen to that underpinning the solo. Great solos can only exist if great rhythms played underneath. <laughs> Go. Hatfield, God love you, Papa Hat. But that's fucking metal what you listen to now, pure metal. And, you know, those old familiar topics. And what they did is they, they kind of still used the old familiar writing topics of metal, you know, all the dark sides of, of that, and just kind of redressed them and kind of, you know, put them up in a different fashion. back in and that's kind of that's that's how you end it if <laughs> you didn't have the bonus track for our Japanese and American fans of so what which I fucking love obviously the cover but I fucking love that song and I've been a wee spawn too so I'd like to go into that and listen to that <laughs> Because that must have been good that you can go and do all this kind of stuff where you're reaching out and doing stuff that's a arena rock and all that type of thing and kind of trying and then but to do the end to be so what you know you can't you can't hide where the roots are like who cares what do you do so some people are listening now and their album's ended and some people are listening and have the special edition or I'll just say and you realize that so what's at the end so if you haven't got that special edition feel free to put so what on. Um, it's not that very long a song, but their version of it, uh, by the Anthony Willie, is 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 a fucking great song. And they played the op didn't they open it with the um, the the live DVD as well, right down its road. So uh, so if you're listening to now and you you've you've only got the normal version of the album, I'm sorry, uh, but but I love this song and I like it that it's a, that it's a bonus on this uh, album as well. I like that a lot. Like yo. I chewed up on a pan of piss, so what? <laughs> it's kind of almost, in a horrible way, a horrible pan of cleanser, like, yeah. I went up until it's bleed, so not. <laughs> what a great... That must have come as a nice surprise for our Japanese and American friends, like, to have this song. <laughs> and have it with a classic sort of punk solo.
<laughs> if you're laughing, if you're laughing, it's the most evilest sound in the world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so what what a fucking I love that song to bits like I loved it when it was original like but <laughs> amazing it's hard not to listen with your eyes a smile on your face when you listen to that song like unless you've got the normal version of the album in which case you'll be listening to nothing right now going what the fuck is Coop listening to just fire up so fucking what like so fucking what? So that was, you know, that was a listen through of Metallica's The Black Album. You know, we left some pauses in there to listen to the actual music itself, but I don't know, that was fun, wasn't it? That was interesting. And then off they went to fame and stardom and becoming the biggest band in the world and selling, you know, billion, gazillion, 100 million albums they've sold and doing and doing crazy tours. It'd be interesting to know what you think of the album. Should I do another one of these where I listen and sit through and go through an album and we listen along and stuff? Should I talk more? Should I talk less? Probably talk less. Um, which album should I cover? You know, once again, message me, leave comments, all that good stuff. And we'll see where this goes. It might become a regular thing, it might not do. We'll see what happens. But thanks again for listening. So fucking what? Yeah, yeah.